Well, good morning and afternoon and good night wherever you are listening to this podcast in the world and whatever platform, rather it's your phone or your desktop. We wanted to talk about the events that are soon to occur this May 6th. The coronation of King Charles, a historic event, obviously, not just for England and its commonwealth of empires, but the entire world. It has been quite a while since we've seen the coronation of a king. Now, there have been many coronations of monarchs, in particular 70-something years ago with his mother, Queen Elizabeth. and. We feel that this is not just an event of politic, but a prophecy. And that what is occurring really feeds into prophecy and the global alliance that comes under the one world order of the Antichrist system which is already in place, obviously, but is continually uh, morphing and transitioning to its zenith when all governments by NATO or the EU or the UN will be singularly under one umbrella of power. Right now, it's a consortium of the G7 or G8 and the IMF, International Monetary Fund, WHO, World Health Organization, NATO, uh, the EU, the United Nations, there is a consortium. Uh, They come together as one, but haven't coalesced all of their political power and prowess under one figurehead. Uh, Often people think that's the president of the United States. And proverbially, possibly as kind of a a metaphor or symbol of what it will look like. But the U.S. will not head up the One World Alliance. And, of course, the elephant in the room is literally an elephant, and that's China. And China's alliances have been forged and formed by creating its own global consortium, India, which is now the largest populous nation in the world, with a large next to the largest army of the world, and the Russians. And between those and their sub partners, Tehran, Iran, to some degree, the Saudis, to some degree, and obviously Turkey. And you've got yourself the makings of a battle of historic proportion, which of these will emerge like the survivor, which is going to emerge as the ultimate Caesar over these entities, these alleged four bodies. And I think that there has been some small talk that this figurehead will even emerge from Israel. You know, we don't really know. We can talk till our tongue is dry. And many apologists and people that are into prophecy, I'm sure many of you who listen have heard many scenarios from those you like and those you follow. And you probably are quite unaware of the others that you don't like and that you don't follow who themselves have their own constituency and patrons have their own various reasons for their historical understanding and prophetic perspective of how this all ends up. But I think collectively we all can agree on one thing. It's going to end up. And we can agree that in the end we win. And when I say we, I mean those of us who are followers of Adonai, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Redeemer, Yeshua HaMashiach. In the end, 
we win. We may not know exactly how to read the signs and get some of them wrong and know that journey and that process and how many twists and turns are in the road and curves are in the game when the ball is thrown. But what we do know is how this will ultimately end. What we do know is that there is going to be a coalesce of power and a central figure at some point. Is it an AI? Possibly. AI created uh, intelligence? Possibly. Is it some sort of animatic cyborg humanoid robotics creation? Possibly. All of those things, however it occurs, however it manifests, it's going to occur. It's going to manifest. And we're going to go through a great period of change, time. And it's fun to do some intellectual flexing and acrobats, acrobatics on what we think we know and maybe impress ourselves and those who are listening to us what we think we figured out. But in the end, God has it already set in stone, whether we comprehend it or understand it. And our comprehension and understanding or explanation of it in no way helps it, stops it, impedes it, or speeds it up. It's going to occur with or without our participation, wittingly or not. It's simply going to happen. And most of us will probably understand it in hindsight after the fact more than before the fact, and a few of us will understand it while we're in the middle of the fact. But it's going to occur and these trials and these tribulations and these wars and these times are going to happen. There'll be no earthly utopia as most of you or most of us imagine. God's word will be performed and there will be a period of time where there will be great suffering. And a lot of that will come after you think safety and peace, shalom, and everything is going well. That's when that disaster of the true identity of what these powers are putting together have resulted in. So many of us will be going along with it at first, won't we? And we've already begun to do that already. Rather, it's biometrics or nanotechnology, or frequency, we're already going along with paperless cryptocurrency, facial recognition, to make it seamless and easy in order to control everything, from the energy we use to the food that we eat, obviously the places where we live, to the things that we do to the air that we may breathe. And I think we're going to start by referring to an incident that may mirror to some degree what is about to happen in this coronation. And Rabbi Guy, I think we find that story in the book of Daniel. Yeah. And the book of Daniel actually is very interesting because before I jump into the story that is pretty much a correlation to the coronation. Another point that Daniel makes about the world government is in Daniel chapter 2, with the dream of the statue. And we know that the feet of the statue made partly of clay and partly of iron. And we know, Daniel said, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So we know by prophecy that even though they will try to mix, they will try to establish a one world government, ultimately they will fail. And when they do, that is when the kingdom of God will be established in the messianic age. But to the point that Herzl just mentioned with Daniel 5 and the coronation, the story begins with Nebuchadnezzar's son, who is called Belshazzar. And it starts with his banquet for his coronation, where he invited a thousand of his lords, very similar to King Charles, who also invited a thousand people to his coronation. And it says, while he was drinking wine, getting drunk, engaging in debauchery, he ordered 
that the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar his father brought from the temple of Adonai in Jerusalem be brought so that he, his lords, his wives and concubines could drink from them and defile the most holy artifacts of God. And as you can imagine, that did not end well. Because verse 5 says, Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the palace wall by the lampstand. When the king saw the palm of the hand that was writing, his face took on a different look. Ah, can you imagine King Charles doing the coronation? He sees a hand, floating hand that writes something on the wall. And many of you have heard that phrase, you know, the writing is on the wall, which obviously derives from this story here in Daniel. And the writing, by the way, was mene, mene, tekel ufarsin, which means mene is God has counted up your kingdom and brought it to an end. And indeed, the United Kingdom, King Charles, the British, have they not ruled the world for the last few hundred years, if not a thousand? All over the oceans, the trade routes, the India trade company that they controlled, all the colonies they established all around the world, is not English the international language? Is not the United States of America an extension of England? The second word means tackle. You are weighed on the balance scale and come up short, meaning judgment has already been sealed and you've come up short. You did not deliver. You had the authority. You had the power. You had your chance. And you came up short. And unfortunately, for those who will hear the same type of judgment, they will hear it at a time when it is too late to turn around. And that is at the white throne judgment at the end of days. Well, yes, in Daniel, in this depiction, you see before that understanding of that writing, they are drinking and drunk and having fun. I believe Yeshua said in the letters, in those days, they will be drinking and having fun and sudden destruction shall come upon them. In the midst of you thinking that everything's fine, you're having a party, it might be Mardi Gras, it might be spring break, it might be Purim, and you're putting on costumes, throwing parties, desecrating Pesach, making it only about getting drunk with four glasses of wine and food and food and food, destroying God's holy days, taking them out of his intention, and worshiping pagan days, Easter, Christmas, Halloween. All of these, while you're in the midst of this, and you've got Beyonce and Kim Kardashian, whoever else is your fancy, on your arms, parading themselves. So you're gonna be in the midst of a party. You know, one of the greatest things that we can see here, it's in the midst of a party. That's when those fingers came. And then you got so elated, so despondent about what's going on. You can't figure it out. So you call the psychic hotline. You call Stephen Hawking. You call George Norrie on coast to coast. You call your psychics, your gurus from India. You call your shamans and your spiritists, your tarot card readers. And you ask your magic men to help you. Your wizards and your Harry Potter fans. And oddly enough, they can't figure it out. And no one, including your exorcists and your diviners, higher power, higher energy, you know who you are, 
and all of your old wise fools you call sages, and they're the sages of the devil, not of God. Can't figure it out. And at this point, in this confusion, in this terrified moment, the queen mother, you know, that's what they call Elizabeth's mother, the queen mother. The queen mother, because of what the king and his lords were saying, entered the banquet hall. The queen mother. Here comes the queen. The queen mother said, may the king live forever. Don't be scared by your thoughts. And why is your face so pale? Now, there is a man. That man from Galilee, we often say. A man in your kingdom. And whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, he was found to have light, discernment, wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods. Now, when we walk in the spirit and walk in the light, we'll talk different. People might be jealous of you. They may try to lie about it. They might envy you. But there are those that are recognized when you open your mouth, logic, rational thoughts, and wisdom comes out of it. The right ones will humble themselves to hear you. The other ones will mock you out of jealousy and hatred. But that is what happens when you are the right man. And she tells him, King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the king, your father, she emphasizes, made him chief of the magicians, exorcists, astrologers, and diviners. Now, understand, he was not an exorcist, an astrologist, or a diviner. He was the chief of them, meaning he put all of those devil, diviners, wicked, under the authority of the man who talked to the only God. And because he was found to have an extraordinary spirit, do people say that of you? Do you have an extraordinary spirit? Can people trust what you say? Are you always fighting with your friends and others because you are a liar? They don't really know if you're telling the truth. You really enjoy having that kind of reputation rather than being a straight shooter? It's better for people not to like what you're saying because you're so honest than to wonder and have to query if you're honest at all. An extraordinary spirit, knowledge. He didn't just talk to be heard. He talked to him information and things he had learned and known and knew and experienced himself. He didn't read it and think he knew it. He did it. Discernment, being able to judge detect and see through the lies and the facade. And he had the ability, the ability to interpret dreams. Sounds like Joseph, doesn't it? Yosef, he was brought before the king when the king's astrologists of Egypt could not help. He was brought before the king and he had the ability to unlock mysteries and to solve naughty problems. Naughty problems is a turned mathematicians usually and scientists use, problems that are complex and intricate. He is called Daniel, but the king gave him the name Belshazzar. Now, Daniel, if I'm correct, it means God has judged, but the name Belshazzar that he had given him means something different. It means protector of the life of the king. So the king's protector, we could say it that way. The king's protector. Daniel was brought and summoned. Daniel was brought into the king's presence. The king said to Daniel, are you Daniel? One of the exiles from Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Judah, I've heard about you, that the spirit of the gods is in you. You know, if they can't even talk right. They cannot acknowledge directly Daniel's God, singular. 
the one and the only, because they're in a polytheistic pagan kingdom that has many gods. So although they respect Daniel, acknowledge Daniel as above all their other magic people, they don't acknowledge Daniel's God above all gods without acknowledging their gods. Because polytheistic cultures really don't have any problem with the Jewish God or the Christian God because he's just one of many. And that's where you get into the issue of monotheistic cultures really, to some degree, eliminate their gods cannot exist in monotheism. But your God can exist in polytheism. That's why in a lot of conversations, people say, oh, it's okay. Well, you know, you have your truth and I have my truth. and oh, So we're all fine. No, my truth is the truth. It's not fine with your truth. See, people that do not follow God are okay to some extent with you as long as you allow them to exist. But truth does not allow a lie to exist amongst it. But a lie can handle the truth. That's why every lie has a little piece of truth. But truth has no piece of a lie. Isn't that interesting? So he says, I hear that you have favor. The spirits of the gods are with you. That you have been found to have light, discernment, extraordinary wisdom. Now tell me what it means. And that's when Rabbi Guy just got through explaining what that means. And then he goes on to explain further, does he not? Daniel chapter 5, verse 15. Now, the sages, the exorcists, were brought in to me so that they could read this inscription and tell me what it means. But they could not interpret it for me. However, I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve knotty problems. Now, if you can read this inscription and tell me what it means, you will be dressed in royal purple, wear a gold chain around your neck like a famous rapper, and be one of the three men ruling the kingdom. Now, Daniel was a holy man. He was a man of God. He was not after gold and gifts and a new car and a shiny necklace like most of you are and most of your pastors are and most of you give in to temptations like all those people who sold themselves out to Hollywood, and to TBN, and to all kind of, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, and the people that seem to rob them the most of money uh, and demand it, I don't know how it works. You know, to some degree, you know, the Lord provides everything. We often may feel like we struggle with our work and our ministry. I know I have for many years. And it seems to me, I don't understand how and why people find it so easy to give money millions of dollars to people that are taking your money and buying $5,000 suits and shoes, living in $5 million mansions and flying around in $50 million jets. And I have none of those things. And by the way, I'm not uh, complaining and bemoaning it. I don't want any of those things. And yet it's hard to get people to support the work and the most menial amount, just to keep the work going, just the basic bread and water and transportation needs, just to do the least way. The power of God's work does not need a gold Cadillac to go to a city and help the poor. Doesn't need custom-made Italian shoes to walk in the village of the sick and the disease and the homeless. But so many of you have no problem at all. And I think one of the reasons that I've observed in decades of ministry is that you love giving to the thing that you glorify. No one glorifies a lowly preacher like me. I don't have a lot, if anything at all, actually. And I don't own anything. And as a result, they prefer to give to somebody who has a lot that looks like what they like and looks like what they're trying to accomplish. I get that. 
because the purity of the spirit of what you really want is not what you really want. You want something that looks like how you want to live and how you live. Yeah. And I think another reason might be because they look at preachers as they look at businessmen, lawyers, bankers, salesmen. You don't want to support someone that doesn't have the wealth and the finances because the way you look at it, you think, well, if they don't have a lot of money, they're not successful. So I don't really want to listen to what they say and support them. I'd rather support those who have the money and the wealth because, well, obviously, if they have the money, they know what they're doing. God has blessed them. But that's a lie. See, back in the day, it never worked like that. If you actually read how everything started, the book of Exodus, Leviticus, the priests, the most holy of them all, all the Levites were ordered not to own anything. They had no inheritance, and all they had was the tithes and offerings that the people gave them to eat. No land, no jets, no cars, no bling-bling, except for Aharon, who was the high priest, but that's another story. That wasn't to show off. That was more of a burden. It was a heavy yoke he had to wear to wear him down and remind him of the responsibility. But nowadays, your mega church pastors, they're not the high priests, and they do not make atonement for you. Yeshua took that role, and he is up in heaven, so there really is no excuse for any pastor to be wealthy and there is no excuse for you not to support those who actually speak the truth, whether you like it or not. But you would rather support those who look successful and you feel comfortable giving $500 to someone who looks like a million bucks. You wouldn't feel comfortable giving $500 to someone who looks like 20 bucks, even though he might be on the corner preaching the truth. You know, and I remember one Christmas, I was a young man working at McDonald's. He's very respectful. And all throughout the year, I, you know, always try to tip him. He was going to school, working at McDonald's. And I very, I do it very quietly. I just slip him $10 or $20 in his hand and uh, came from a broken family. And one day, uh, not unlike many other days, I, you know, got my coffee and shook his hand and slipped him something and, and pulled off from the drive-thru. And the following week when I was back at that drive-thru, he apologized to me. And he said, I'm so sorry. I'm like, why? He goes, oh, I had no idea what you slipped in my hand. (sighs) That was, uh, wow, I should have. I'm like, well, I I have a habit of slipping you things in your hand from time to time. $10. Usually it's $10. Once in a while, it might have been 20 You never apologized to me before about something I slipped in your hand. Why are you having this reaction now? He goes, well, yeah, but it was, it, it was a hundred dollars. I'm like, what's the difference? Really? But it's just a number from 10 to a hundred. What's the difference? You think it's something so big when you give somebody a thousand dollars and you Think it nothing when you give them 10. Why? What's the difference? Many have given $1,000 and have given nothing, or they gave it in a bad spirit. Many have given $10 and they gave a fortune and gave it in the right spirit. And I said to him, I said, I gave you that, but your gratitude for this shouldn't be any greater than the gratitude many times in the past when I've slipped you $10 just to help you out as a student. What, what's the difference? What's the difference? I didn't slip you that $100 bill with any different attitude or requirement or condition or wanting attention than I had when I had slipped you $10. So I said, why do you value that more than the $10 I've slipped you in the past? It's the same. It's, it's the same. It's not the amount. It's not the quantity. It's the spirit and the quality. And that connects with the story of the widow's might. When Yeshua was in the temple watching the people give their tithes and offerings, and he said to his disciples, you see that widow? She put in two pennies, 
Yet, she gave more than all of those wealthy people who gave thousands and tens of thousands and financed the new community center in the church. And when you really think about that story and the significant meaning behind it, what do you have to give God but a widow's might? Think about it. How long are you here on this earth? 60, 80 years? What is that compared to eternity? Nothing. All you have is a widow's might. And yet, you're not even willing to give that. No, you hold back. And, and she gave everything. That's the widow. She gave everything. And it's the same story with the young rich ruler. He was rich. And when the Lord said, well, give everything to the poor, he walked away sad. Because, you see, when everything's got you, then you won't give everything to the one who saved you. Everything's got you. So you will open up that purse like Ebenezer Scrooge and start pulling through your bills to find a couple of dimes to toss to Tiny Tim. And Tiny Tim got just a tiny bit of what you had. And the reality is you didn't give everything. You give something, but you don't give everything. And when you do give something, it's nothing because you're not giving from everything. You see the difference? The young with the money had the young rich ruler. Not every rich man has to sell everything he has and give to the poor. You might be a wealthy man where your money doesn't have you, but you have the money. That's different. But how many people you know, the things they possess, possess them. That's the exorcism that really is needed. We talked about that before. That's the demon of greed. The exorcism that's really needed is the things that have you. And the things that have you is not just a demon in a horror movie. It might be a woman. It might be your child. It might be shoes. It might be clothing. It might be cars. It might be a whole bunch of things. See, those things had him. And which is why Daniel said to him, keep your money. Keep your gifts. Give it to someone else. I will not be bought. I will not be purchased. You're a godless king. You have violated God's rule. And now you think you can buy me? I'm going to tell you what it is that God has to say, regardless of you offering to give me money, to silence me. See, that's what happens in the criminal sector. You pay off the district attorney or the judge or the witnesses. You bribe and cheat to get what you want. And the problem is because most people have a price. The most dangerous person is a person without a price because they've given their life to the one who paid the price. So there is no amount that you will sell your soul for because someone offers to take you out of their will. I'm going to write you out of my will. Your parents say that to you and then you silence yourself. Why? Because you have told yourself what they have you value above all things you want. Let them write you out of the will. You're not written. Your inheritance is with God. Men will use their money. Women will use their sex. And others will use their power to manipulate and control you. Write me out of the will. I'm going to leave everything to your sister. Leave it. I'm going to leave everything to your mother. Leave it. I'm going to leave everything to your brother. Leave it. I'm going to leave everything to your dog. Leave. Well, oh, that did happen, actually. I think it was a woman in New York, a billionaire. She was a billionaire because she married billionaires and ended up with all the money. Hemsley was her name. She left billions, you ready, to her poodle. Became the richest dog in, in the world. The poodle. Daniel says, keep your money. Here is what God says. The most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father the kingdom, as well as greatness, glory, and majesty. Because of the greatness he gave him, the people, the languages, they all trembled before him. Anyone he wanted put to death, he put him to death. Anyone he wanted to keep alive, he kept alive. And anyone he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when this king, your father, grew prideful, and the spirit became, you know, have you grown prideful? I know how much. I've worked my bone off for 60 years for this money. I worked. 
Bones off for 60 years for how much money you have in the bank, how much property you own. That's the man I used to work for. The devil's got him because he has a love for money, a hatred of purity and righteousness and holiness. So you'll perish with your money. That's another story in the scripture. The rich man died and perished with his money. That's what's happening with the man I worked for. He will die lonely, without love and with tragedy. Because he grew proud in his spirit. Unlike Hezekiah, when I told the man to repent, he did not turn his face towards the wall. When I told him God was bringing a judgment, he did not call on the name of the Lord Adonai. And there's nothing worse than a Jew that does not call on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He grew proud and his spirit became hard. He began treating pe people arrogantly. That's the boss. So he was deposed from his royal throne. See, God will knock you off your perch. You'll lose your wealth. You'll lose your homes in Newport Beach. You'll lose your health. You'll lose your mind like Nebuchadnezzar. And that was a king. And his glory was taken away from him. He was driven from human society. That's a prophecy. You know who this applies to because you're listening to this podcast, don't you? Driven from human society, his heart was made like that of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and he was fed with grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew from the sky until he learned that the most high God rules in the human kingdom and sets up over it whomever he pleases. See, he lived until he learned that God is God. But Belshazzar, you, his son, unlike your father who humbled himself, you have not humbled your heart. Even though you knew all of this, you knew the Torah, you're a Jew, you went to rabbi, you went to the synagogue, you've gone through bar mitzvah. What do you think this is? A fairy tale, an imaginative? of a story? You know the history of how God judges his people for this disobedience. You know the history of how God judges you most of all for prostituting yourselves away from faith, serving foreign gods and foreign women. You know what he's going to do to you. You should know this. Instead, you've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. That's Psalm 73 by having them bring you vessels from this house and you and your lords and your wives and your mistresses drink wine from them. Then you offered praises to your gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. That's your real estate holdings. That's your gold options. That's your mineral rights and mines you purchase. That's your jewelry and your safe. That's your military armament and protection, your securities, your bonds, your treasuries, your pride, your palaces, your cabins, your boats, your yachts, your planes, which can't see and know anything. Meanwhile, God who holds you or very breath in his hands and to whom belongs everything. Uh, belongs everything. That's why you have to give everything. It's already his. Giving everything doesn't mean God may require it. God said give everything. Abraham did, but he didn't require his son as a human sacrifice. No, I just want to know that you're not holding on to your son above me. Happy wife, happy life is a lie. What do you think your wife is? Delilah, a prostitute that you've got to make that happy? Job said, you speak as a foolish woman when his wife said, curse God and die. He rebuked her. Meanwhile, God, who holds your very breath in his hands, to whom belongs everything you do, you have not glorified. This is what he sent. This is why he sent the hand to write this inscription. Mene, mene, teka yufasin. This is what it means. God has counted up your kingdom. He's brought it to an end.
you are weighed. The judgment's out, the indictment's in, the jury has come back, and here is the verdict. You are going to die. I'm going to divide your kingdom and give it to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave order. I like this one. You ever rebuked somebody, told them what God's going to do? Then they try to play nice. They think they can appease God, bribe God, and get out of their judgment. Okay. Okay, well, clothe Daniel now. Put the royal purple robe on, on him. and Put a gold chain around his neck, okay? Now proclaim him to be one of the, the three women of the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of Castine, was killed. Hello. He should have just repented. Don't try to buy your repentance. The Catholic Church had something called indulgences. I know they do that in the synagogues. People start having auctions thinking they can buy their forgiveness. Don't play that. Don't treat God like a common, better call Saul's salesman. He is the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, what he should have done is what Hezekiah done. Repent, humble himself, and beg for mercy. But even at this moment, instead of turning to God, he turned to the prophet, the messenger, the angel, what is called, and said, give him the gift, as if Daniel had anything to do with it. As if, well, I know you didn't want it, but I'll give it to you anyway. Maybe, maybe I can buy you. No, I'm just a messenger. I have no authority. I just speak the word of the one who sent me. That's what Yeshua said. I do not speak my own words. See, I'm sure many people try to give him gifts and whatnot. You know, there are so many miracles that are not recorded in the Gospels. But I'm sure, just like in the days of Elisha, when the general came and tried to buy a healing for $2 million, right? I'm sure they tried it, but you're all going to the wrong place. We are not the source. We are just the speakerphone. Go to the source. You do not need a pastor, a preacher, a rabbi, a singer, none of it. All you need is the name, Yeshua. You know, not too long ago, we saw online, they sold at an auction the pants of some famous rabbi. They had an auction and they ended up selling that for 3,000 bucks. <laughs> it was used. It was the pants that he wore almost every day for, I don't know, 15, 20 years used by that famous rabbi and people paid $3,000 and I remember Herzl and I were talking we were wondering if the pants went for 3000 how much did the underwear go for? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can guarantee you that, uh, well, there's not a greater market. One thing that Middle Eastern people know, there's not a greater market for a fool than an American citizen, which is why they have come and opened up kiosks and businesses here and tell you anything. This is water from Jordan. This is the oil from the sweat of Jesus. By the way, for 20 shekels, you can stand in the very place on the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended into the heavens. Give me 20 shekels. They'll give you 200 shekels. Not only that, they will pay $5,000 to get on an airplane from California to fly to Jerusalem to spend. $200, $500 a night in a hotel and $300 a week for food to pay 20 shekels, which is the equivalent of about uh, seven and a half dollars to walk to the top of Mount Oliver in a Muslim controlled environment to stand allegedly in the very footprints. Because, you know, when he, when he ascended, he left a footprint in the ground, like Hollywood man's theater, you know, the stars, you can go, everybody spends thousands of dollars. The number one attraction in Hollywood is man's Chinese theater to see the footprint of Marilyn Monroe or Charlton Heston or Charles Bronson or Elizabeth Taylor or Michael Jackson. And they pull out their cameras and they bring their children and their babies. And you see old people, and wheelchairs and oxygen tanks that traveled all the way from Timbuktu, Iowa, to Hollywood on their last breath, spending their last dollar just to take off their shoes and stand in the cement imprint of Marilyn Monroe. 
You do the same thing when you fly 5,000 miles, 10,000 miles to Israel just to put your feet, allegedly, by the way, in the footprint of Jesus. I guess that's what religion has been reduced to. Don't walk like Jesus. Just see where he walked. Yeah. And when you think about it, this is all new. 2,000 years ago, they didn't look for the footprints of Yeshua. So why do you? You know, one thing that you really have to understand is that the scriptures were not written for you. They were written for the people who were there. They were written by the people who saw it to other people whom they knew at the same generation with the same contextual understanding. They were not like you living somewhere far away and distant thinking that the Bible is some sort of a history museum thing that you're supposed to take pictures of and, and investigate as if it's some Pokemon cards that you need to collect. No. It is instructions on how you should live. You know, we watched a movie yesterday, a war movie, and some guy was walking on the battlefield and he was thinking to himself, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I'm, I've seen this movie, obviously, we, we've gotten to that point, and not once did he mention God or did he serve God or anything, and all of a sudden he's reciting it as he's walking down the battlefield, and I'm just thinking to myself, you know, saying the Lord is my shepherd doesn't make it so. David did not say it to say it, he said it because it was true. You can say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, if he actually is your shepherd. But just because you recite it doesn't make it so. Well, what about our father? Our father, which art in heaven, does not make him your father. That's the, the prayer wasn't saved. Say, say our father and he'll be your father. Doesn't work that way. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and a stranger's voice they will not hear. Yeah. And with that, you know, I think it's very clear to understand that... <laughs> We can say whatever you want, but unless you are called by Yeshua, unless you are drawn by the Spirit, anything we say is irrelevant. It's not for you. You can enjoy it, you know, you can listen, you can make fun of us, you can call us the crazy prophets, you know, it doesn't matter, we don't care. We, we, you know, that's why the comments are blocked on this channel, by the way, because we really don't care, we don't do it for you, we do it for God. <laughs> God tells us, do this message, we do this message. Whether you like it or not, we don't care. Don't subscribe to us. Subscribe to God and serve Him. Love Him. Not this video. We're not looking for your subscriptions. We don't care about your comments. God wants to hear your voice, not me. I'm not God. He's been waiting for you to subscribe to Him and, and ascribe his, to Him His glory. He's been waiting for you to give Him two thumbs up. Not me. We would fail our job if we try to point you to us. Fall on your knees and talk to him. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear your comments. And he actually does care more than any of us could ever care about what's coming out of your mouth. He actually does want to hear the cry of your heart. He actually does want to hear the confession. And he does want you to like him. He wants you to love him. You shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, and all thy strength. On this hang all the law and the prophets. And the second is like unto the first, you shall love thy neighbor as thyself. For without love, it is impossible to actually have any relationship with God. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Amen. So many places So many faces Every day I see Everywhere I go People who need the Lord Cardboard boxes, the homeless sleep 
on the streets, our children weep. Brothers killing brothers and sisters too. Broken families, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? The love of God, how deep is so wonderful. Just to know His love, what a miracle. I just can't understand why some say no to God. Some trust in money, some trust in foolish things But I put my trust in Jesus, He's my King He's a friend to the friendless, He's a mother and father to Anyone to love you, He's just waiting for you He's just waiting for you The love of God, how deep it's so wonderful just to know His love, what a miracle. I just can't understand how some say no to God. The love of God, how deep it's so wonderful just to know His love. What a miracle! I just can't understand why some say no to God. To love God, how deep it's so wonderful just to know His love. What a miracle! I just can't understand. Why some say no to God I just can't understand Why some say no to God Don't say no to God He's calling you.